I'd like to say welcome to those joining us in the Fellowship Hall and also through the broadcast today. It's good to be studying the Word of God all together as a family of faith. And through Lent, we've been talking about the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and all the aspects of what the cross means in our lives. And the first week, Pastor Steve started us off by talking about how the cross of Jesus moves us from guilt to forgiveness. And that's a real heavy hitter. That club we swing a lot when we talk about the meaning of the cross in our lives. But sometimes what we're facing, the, the struggles that we're facing aren't about guilt that need forgiveness. Sometimes in our lives we get stuck in these sand pits of shame or isolation or indifference. And for those, we need a different type of club. But thankfully, the cross of Christ is so powerful in so many different ways in our lives that today we are unpacking yet another way that the cross of Christ impacts our lives. And that is that in the cross of Christ, we are moved from me, a life centered on self, to we, a life that we're invited to grow in relationship with God and with one another. And so for that reason, I brought my golf clubs today. These are a little different than the ones that you've seen before. They're a bit older. Uh, these ones were previously owned by my dad and now are my golf clubs, and he doesn't use these particular ones anymore. And my dad is a bit taller than I am, so as I've learned golf, I've had to learn how to kind of choke up a little bit on the clubs. But I don't really want a new set of clubs because this set of clubs reminds me that for me, golf is all about relationship. And in fact, the only reason that I started learning golf in the first place was so that I could play golf with my dad without embarrassment. That was the goal. So a couple of years ago, a couple summers ago, my friend Robin Mahan and I started to take some lessons and we'd go out and practice in the summer. And last summer I decided that, okay, now I think I'm going to try it. So I went up to Bemidji to see mom and dad, and I asked dad if he wanted to go out golfing, and he said, sure. And he invited my sister along, my sister who has never picked up a golf club in her life. So she gets up to the tee, and she hits a shot perfectly. She's a natural. Every shot, beautiful, up in the air, down the fairway, just beautiful. And then I get up who've been practicing and taking lessons and everything. And on that day, I managed to hit with a ball three different trees and my dad. Yeah, with the golf ball. And so then I realized really quickly that the whole goal of being able to play golf without embarrassment is way too high a goal for me. <laughs> it's never gonna happen. But I was comforted by the fact that for me, really the goal is just relationship. That all of the clubs in this bag are about fostering relationship with other human beings. And so every single time I go out, that goal is met. And that was comforting to me. So the reason I brought this bag of golf clubs today is because we're remembering how the same is true for our God. That as we're talking about the cross and all the aspects of the cross in our lives, really all of them are about relationship. Because the whole reason that God sent Jesus to redeem us is because he wants us reconciled in relationship with him in all the very different ways in our lives that we can mess that up. <laughs> and that he wants us connected to himself and to others. And so we're talking today about how the cross moves us from me to we. 
And when Jesus told us that the most important things in the law were to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, he wasn't telling us that in order to cramp our individualistic style. He was telling us that because that's really the heart of where we find life. That's how we were created to live in relationship with God and with each other. And I think that that's a real important message, especially for our individualistic culture today, because it seems that we're given that message over and over again, that the way we find our value and our, who we are is by setting ourselves apart from everyone else instead of connecting with one another. In fact, someone told me just last week, they mentioned that we are now a society that can't even spell the word we without two eyes. That's pretty sad. <laughs> so today I want to talk about how we learn all of these things about why God calls us into community for three different ways, from who God is, from how God created us, and from the things that Jesus taught us. So I want to unpack each of those sections today. So first of all, we learn from who our God is, that God and God's self is a holy community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And scripture tells us that God is love, but love always takes an object. Uh, love needs something to love. And so God and God's self is a mutual community of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we see who God is in, in his sense of community. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. People have puzzled over that for a long time. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one community as one being. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus clearly states that everything that he says, everything that he does, comes from God, his Father. And Jesus tells his disciples that after he returns to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come and remind us of everything Jesus has said and done, which came from God the Father. That God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one community. That God draws us into community because that's at the heart of his very being. And that makes his sacrifice on the cross even greater. Because often when we think about the sacrifice of the cross, we usually think about Jesus' sacrifice, his courage and his obedience and his love that would take for him to go to the cross for us. We're blown away by it. But it wasn't only Jesus' sacrifice. It was a sacrifice for God the Father, too. Because at that moment when Jesus took on the sin that had separated us from God to die with it, because God is perfectly holy, he had to turn his face away from Jesus. And when Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was agonizing over a separation that had never happened before in all of eternity. God's very being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was being torn, broken open for you to make room for you. When Jesus died with the sin that separated us from God, the very Godhead was torn apart by it so that in being restored in the resurrection, now there would be a place for us to be brought back into relationship with God forever, not just as servants, but adopted through Jesus' work into the family of God forever. Why would God do that? The only answer is love. That he loves you so much that he wanted you reconciled in relationship with him and us with each other, that he himself would pay the price of that restoration for us. 
The cross moves us from me to we because that is who God is. And secondly, we know that the cross moves us from me to we because of how God created us. If we turn back to Genesis, Genesis 1:27, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does that tell us? When God decided to create beings in his image, he didn't just create one, he created two. Two very different beings showing us from the beginning that God's image is reflected best in the world in community, in our uniqueness offered in mutual service to the other. That's how it was before the fall into sin. From the very beginning, we were not created to be Lone Ranger believers, but to reflect God's image together in community. And we know that the cross restores us from what sin has broken. We're moved from a life centered on me to one about the we, loving God, and loving neighbor as it was in God's good creation from the very beginning. But most of all, we know that the cross brings us from me to we because of what Jesus teaches. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, do you remember what he taught? In Matthew 6, he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Did you notice in Jesus' prayer there, there's not a single me or I. There's only our and we. Because this prayer is all about relationship with God and others. The prayer our Savior taught us to pray assumes a community. And we can't pray our Father without remembering that in Christ we have siblings. And that our love for God calls us together to seek Him and to forgive each other and to humble ourselves to be led by Him as a family. And Jesus gives us a definition of that family in Mark 3. Jesus is teaching, and someone comes up to him and says, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see, there's a family that you have by blood. And then there's a family that you have by faith in the one who has shed his blood for you. And recognizing the same heavenly father and his authority in our lives. And that bond connects through all circumstances of life because it's anchored in something so much bigger than me. Jesus makes us family. And if we miss this, we miss one of the most important purposes of the cross and one of the most important purposes of God's will for us as his people. And I'll never forget the first time that I really felt that. I was in Ivory Coast with a mission team, and my team was supposed to go and encourage a church of Liberian missionaries who were in a village that was really remote, out in the bush. It was called Fete. And this was long before cell phones, so someone had been dispatched like two weeks earlier to walk to this village and let them know we were coming on this day. So we got into our Land Rover and we started down the road, which was actually mostly potholes, and the road became more of like a path, and the path became more like a trail, and by the time we were getting close, the trees were hitting both sides of the vehicle as we were trying to make our way to this village of Fete. And by the time we got there, it had been six hours 
driving through the bush to this remote village. We finally got there, we got out of the vehicle and said, we're here, and we found out that no one was expecting us. The church that we were going to meet had actually moved two months ago. There was no Liberian refugee church in this village at all. In fact, there was no Christian church in this village at all. So we were just a bunch of Americans in the middle of this remote village, and everyone was wondering what we're doing there. <laughs> so finally, we went to the chief, and we told him who we were and what we would like to do, and he very graciously offered to let us do a program about Jesus there. And so he put uh, little torches all around so people could see. It was getting dark by that time. And we brought out our instruments and our puppet curtain, and we did our program about Jesus. And at the very end, a man made his way out through the crowd into the light, and he said, I have to tell you, I came because I heard there were strangers in my village. But when I heard what you said about Jesus, I realized you're not strangers. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. We're family. And I can't even tell you what that did in my heart to know that after traveling six hours into the middle of nowhere, here I had found a member of my own family, my family in Christ. Before he left, he encouraged us to keep spreading the news of Jesus Christ, and then he said something I'll never forget. He said, I'll see you in heaven, if not before. And then he disappeared into the darkness. And I know that someday I will see him again. And I'll recognize that he is my brother. Not because of anything he's done, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus makes us family forever. Because really, we had virtually nothing else in common. <laughs> our language was different, our songs were different, our ch church buildings always looked different, our lives were radically different. But when I pray, our Father, sometimes it's His face that I picture as part of the hour. When you pray that prayer, who do you picture as part of the hour in our Father? See, the truth is there are so many things in this world that can divide us, but there's only one thing that unites us forever that nothing of earth can ever break. And we can see that so clearly in Ephesians 2 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus himself is our peace, and because he is, we are no longer foreigners or strangers, we're fellow citizens. As God's people, we're members of his household. We belong to God, and we belong to each other. 
But Jesus isn't even finished there. Instead, in him, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives today by his spirit. That our God, who is a holy community of love, is forming a holy community out of his people to be a beacon of his new kingdom out into the world. And why would God choose to work that way? Because that's how he created us, to reflect his image in loving community together. And this was so important in what Jesus came to restore that in John 13, when there was time left only to address what was most important, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now you might have thought that that would be a given by this time in Jesus' ministry. His disciples had been together for three years by this time. But Jesus had called together some really different people to be his disciples. People with different politics, different backgrounds, different professions. And love doesn't come naturally between such different people. In fact, that love for one another is a chosen witness to Jesus' character. And it's a beautiful and a powerful thing to selflessly live as a community for a common purpose. It draws people in when you see that. I'll never forget my senior year of college. We had an incredible basketball team. And what made them so incredible is they all knew each other's strengths so well, and they were humble enough to actually use them. I watched as one of the point leaders got up to the basket, and he could have easily done a layup, but instead he looks over his shoulder for their three-point guy who's open in the back, and he turns and he throws the ball away from the basket back to the three-point guy so that he can sink an extra point for the team. Now, you may not know this about me, but I'm not really into sports a whole lot, (laughs) but I never missed a single one of the games that they played. Because that teamwork, that beautiful commitment, not to the self, but to the team, it was just so inspiring to me. So let me ask you, what would it look like to the world if Jesus' church were to live that way? If people who have nothing in common but Jesus would live that kind of love for each other, to live out of the we instead of the me that so often divides us, It's an extremely countercultural way to live, but it's the way of the kingdom of God, and it's a beautiful chosen witness to reflect that kind of love. You see, in a golf bag, all of those clubs are different because they're designed for different uses, but their purpose is all the same, to advance the ball. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul says, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And when he was writing this, Paul was actually kind of making a joke. This is supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be ridiculous to think about the head saying that to the feet. But what Paul is actually telling us is that it is just as ridiculous to think that we can be Lone Ranger Christians, just Jesus and me, without the community of faith, saying to them, I don't need you. When we're called into a new creation by the redeeming work of God for us through the cross of Jesus, we're called into a new community with a bigger purpose than just ourselves. 
one with many brothers and sisters who are very different from each other, all designed to help advance Jesus' love into the world in different ways. And each of us have been positioned where we are to make an impact for the kingdom, to help move a heart just a little closer to the Father who loved them enough to break open his own heart to make room for them and for you. Because Jesus died, we are family, now and forever. And today we celebrate a meal together to remember that this is what Jesus did for us. That on the night he would be betrayed to death, he gathered his family of faith around him and he offered them bread and wine, his body and blood to take and eat and drink. Remembering that what he would do on the cross in a few short hours would somehow be for them and for us. And his blood in this meal becomes part of our blood. His body becomes part of the cells of our own bodies as we receive that meal. We become family by blood, his blood in us. We become blood brothers and sisters, not because of us, but because of him. Because Jesus died, we are family. Would you practice swinging that club with me one time? Because Jesus died, we are family. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, please teach us what that means, that you died to knit us together in your love, to be family to one another. Jesus, you taught us to pray to our Father, and today we remember all of those in our family, all those who confess you are Lord Jesus. We pray for our family in Haiti and in Africa and Asia. We pray for those who don't yet know that they have a heavenly father who would rip apart his own heart to make room for them in his life. We pray for those who are sitting next to us right now this morning, that they would know the depth of your love for them. And we pray for our own hearts, that we'd remember the kind of love that would move you to draw us into your life. Lord, help us to live out your love as our own part of the family, that through us together, the world may know who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.